Hi, this is Chris Sharp, goalkeeping coach of the Colorado Rapids. Uh, welcome to the Coach's Corner. You're watching it with Omar from ProGK. Thank you so much for uh, being on here. Before you stepped foot in Colorado, before you became known as core goalkeeping, uh, Colorado Rapids Academy Director, first team goalkeeper coach, even first team assistant, which is not a lot of coaches can say that. Before all of that, you started off as a young kid in Australia and you played multiple sports. You played cricket, rugby, basketball, but the two that really stuck out for you were soccer and tennis. When it comes to tennis, one thing physically that I, I kept thinking about was, you know, the prep set that mm -hmm, we have mm -hmm. before any serve, yeah. you're getting in a position where laterally you can move right, right and left, right. right? Do you ever in your sessions pick off different sports and, and try to see if maybe those will uh, maybe make it easier for a goalkeeper to comprehend certain techniques that you're trying to yeah. trying to tackle? I think what you just said there's a big one. I think like, you know, we used to call it the crow hop in tennis prior to the serve. Um, and I've kind of adopted that name throughout the course of my coaching for, for goalkeepers. You know, the... the, the the, the set, the preset, the prep step, whatever you want to call it. But the crow hop's just something that I've kind of, you know, and I think, you know, the change of direction, the fitness side of it, you know, I think now looking at young goalkeepers and trying to find athletes, you look at basketball situations um, in the in the women's game, you're looking at young volleyball players, you know, athletes, big, strong, tall. So I think there's probably is some good, you know, correlation between different sports, especially here in the US, you know, wide receivers for... Um, the NFL, we have a lot of high school goalkeepers in the academy that are kickers for their teams. Mm. So, I mean, you look across all the sports, I think there is, you know, some things in there that really do help the goalkeepers. For sure. So one thing that I, I didn't even think about when it came to tennis was the psychological aspect. Mm -hmm. From the psychological aspect, do you feel like playing tennis was something that allowed you to kind of have that mental edge um, that, you know, we heard about Djokovic, who... I think he was at a Buddhist temple for a few weeks or a yeah. few months just yeah. to kind of reset his mind and yeah. have peace of mind in those moments where at match point he's, you know, behind the eight ball. Right. He needs to kind of come up yeah. with those points. Do you feel like that's something that helped you out? Very much so. And as I said, like when I was a kid, I was a big personal goal setter. You know, you walk into my bedroom and I had things everywhere written up um, on my roof, on my walls, things I wanted to achieve both in football and in tennis or in my, my daily life. Um, and I think, again, going back to it, tennis was a sport where you found yourself behind the eight ball so many times, whether yeah. it was match point, set point, you know, you might've been down love 40, whatever it looked like to you, where you had to grind through. And for me again, and it's gonna sound with the way my head works, it was a sport where unforced errors or making mistakes cost you. Yeah. And I think goalkeeping is the same thing. So trying to be consistent in what you're doing as a tennis player and, and you know, not making mistakes that were gonna put you behind, it's the same way in goals, exactly. you know, being consistent, doing the simple things well. And, you know, when there was openings in, as a tennis player to, to hit winners or whatever it was, I think the same in goalkeeping. You know, you talk about keeping within the bubble, doing the, the simple things well, but, you know, training for the moments where you can make a difference and maybe keep your team in the game or win your team points or whatever it looked like. For sure. Uh, let's say I'm a, I'm a parent and my son or daughter is in your academy. And I say, Chris, do you feel like specializing in the goalkeeping position at a young age? Is that a factor that will allow them to become an expert at their position at a young age? Do you feel like they should try multiple sports until a certain age? Mm -hmm. And of course, everybody's body uh, matures at different times, mm -hmm. different speeds, things mm -hmm. like that. So for you, do you have a, not a specific answer, but a general answer that you can give some parents? Yep, I think it's a huge and a very good question. My answer in the last five years has probably changed quite drastically. When I first got here to Colorado and I started Core Goalkeeping Academy, I was very much for the kids playing multiple sports, 
but also within a soccer playing on the field and in goals. As it's kind of grown, as the position of goalkeeping has grown, you know, particularly in Colorado, but in the USA, um, I think that I'm still a very big advocate for kids playing multiple sports. I think it's very good for, you know, hand-eye coordination, mentality, just that overall athleticism. Yeah. But I'm, I have become more to the fact that because more kids are specializing in goalkeeping, that I think kids need to be starting at a younger age, specializing in the position so mm-hmm. they don't fall too far behind. And when I say that, you know, and, and I look at, you know, young, look, Abraham's a great example for me. Yeah. He had zero goalkeeping coaching up until he came to the DA. I found him on a paddock out the back. You mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, that. it was, he was playing fourth division soccer in the local thing and saw raw talent, but it was raw talent. It was, there was no technical ability to it. There was no thought process to it, which is keeping ball at the back of the net. Take four years earlier, Abraham four years earlier, and I know he's only 17 now, give him a little bit of technical ability. And I think it's a different ball game, yeah. you know, and I think now with kids, you know, who are massively playing different sports at very high levels, you know, like myself, you get to a point where you've got to choose between two or three things because you don't want to be chopping and changing all the time. And I think the same goes for goalkeepers and field players. You know, you have kids playing halftime in the field and halftime in the goal up until they're 14, 15, and the parents wonder why their kids are behind a little bit and there's someone's excelling because that person may have been honing in on a specific area or position or left back right back center back goalkeeper for sure and it has really nailed it down Uh, and they're going to be in advance of the kid that was probably doing it half and half and that was just look that's just something i've just seen in the last three or four years where we've had kids come through the program especially at the da level where you know we've got a young boy now andrew cordes u16 national team um he's been with the first team a lot he's still 15 years old he's playing u19's da you know he's six foot three he's 190 pounds he's a big lad but I've had him in the academy specializing at goalkeeping since he was eight. It shows, you know, because yeah. he's far, far, far and away better than anybody in the age group we have in, in the state. Yeah. You know, so it, there's probably there's probably reasons for and reasons against it, and, and I'm not opposed to it, but I think my mindset has changed a little bit in the last four or five years just looking at the way goalkeeping has changed and mm. the want to be a goalkeeper has changed. You know, maybe we've created a little bit of that in, in Colorado, but I think for those kids that are getting a good jump early, it, it's really showing in, in a later age. For sure. So... Coming back to your, you know, development as a as a goalkeeper growing in uh, Australia, you're about 12 years old from the stories that I've heard. You know, chubby kid, yeah. just like myself. Very so, much so. Yeah. Uh, your dad was, uh, I'm sure, a big part of your life, and yep. he was a coach of your your team. Yep. And he decided, hey, I want you to get in goal, yeah. and mm-hmm. you decided, hey, I'll do it. Yeah. And you went in there, you fell in love. Yeah. What about the position really kind of took you took you hold and and made you want to continue with it? Right. I think at that age, I was 11, 12, like you say, and I was the chubby kid. I was a forward at the time. And the lad, start, who, yeah. yeah, the lad <laughs> who was in goals got injured, and you know, my old man said, "Who, who would like to play in?" I just stuck my hand up. Yeah, I'll go. I think the first thing that stuck to mind was the less running, and I was like, <laughs> "This is brilliant." So, but I, I think no, for me, you know, I played rugby, I played cricket, I played tennis, all around the same age, and I had decent hand-eye coordination. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, not that it came easy because I was not a natural goalkeeper. But the want to push myself to be better at that particular position kind of stuck with me, you know. And I think again, as it goes on, you know, you know, the handling and the footwork and the distribution. And as I got kind of 13, 14, 15, and realized that there was more to it than just catching the ball, and I was having a little bit of success in there too, yeah. kind of drove me to that direction. So you go from obviously getting a little bit of success to getting even more success. Mm-hmm. So at 15, you're now getting called into national team camps mm-hmm. with Australia. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more of, of how that kind of came to be and 
what do you feel your attributes were as a goalkeeper at that young of an age that kind of set you apart and kind of propelled you to that next level? Right. I mean, for me, again, I wasn't natural. It was something that I had to really work at. As I got to like 14, 15, I, I started to take a little bit of pride in, in my appearance as far as my, my um, fitness was concerned. Just kind of had a very good goalkeeping coach that kind of pulled me aside and said, look, you're okay, but you need to get fit. And so I, I worked very hard at that. Um, at U15s, I got called into, I was playing for a decent club in, in Sydney now for Marconi. You know, I got called into the uh, New South Wales state team. So 15s and 16s in Australia, we have like, what, six states and two territories and they have like a national tournament. And okay. each state, you know, selects a team for the 15s and 16s. And you go and play in front of the national team scouts, Australian Institute of Sport, and they kind of pick the groups based off that. Now, I didn't. Off that, I didn't get into the AIS, I didn't get into the New South Wales Institute of Sport, I didn't even get into the national team, but I was starting for New South Wales and we won the tournament. Wow. And out of that, though, I did get my trial to go to Aston Villa. And then that kind of kicked a couple of national team stuff off from there. So it was kind of a, you know, I didn't do it the, the natural way going through, but out of that national team, I'm oh, sorry, that national tournament, um, for the state tournament, I got obviously opportunities to go to England and then kind of stuck from there. So. Yeah. So those moments where, let's say you weren't somebody who was, not that you weren't sought after, but you mm -hmm. said you kind of had to make a statement by mm -hmm. winning that state tournament. Mm -hmm. Is there any advice you'd give to young kids in terms of, let's say, habits that you formed at a young age yep. that when you got to that next level, you said, oh, wow, this right. is maybe from your coaching staff, yeah. your coach maybe saying, hey, you need to lose a little bit of weight mm -hmm. and get a little bit better mm -hmm. in shape. Is there anything you can kind of you know, pass on to the kids who are maybe in that position right now where right. they feel like, I need to prove myself, but mm -hmm. don't know how, and yeah. I need to create some better habits, but I don't know which ones. Right. I, I think it's, it's a great, it's a great question because for me, you know, there was two sides to that story. In my head, there was better goalkeepers, and I knew it at that age. I knew there was better goalkeepers than me. There was four or five guys that went on to play. You know, Brad Jones is now at Feyenoord. You look at the guys like that that, that were big time goalkeepers mm -hmm. um, Mark Schwarzer I think. Mark Schwartz, yeah. yeah but he was, he's older than older, me yeah. but yeah but I mean in my group you know there's guys like Eugene Galeklovich still playing for Adelaide United Liam Reddy's playing for Perth Glory and these wow. are all our age group but I knew I wasn't the best goalkeeper but something that I had that was better than everybody was my work ethic I was the hardest worker the hardest trainer and just kind of believed in myself and I had only had eyes to go to England that's all I wanted to do was go and play Premier League club was going to try and play now never played in the Premier League but you know, going back to your question was that I was kind of honest with myself and knew that there was better goalkeepers. Yeah. And I think sometimes kids get so caught up in, I am the best. There is no one out there that's better than me. And I think college in this country is a great example. You know, kids are the best in the state or the best in their age group, but they forget that there's 300 million other kids out there that <laughs> yeah. want to do the same thing, you for know? Sure, yeah. So I think, you know, advice for kids and advice for parents at the same time is that you know, the work ethic for me is, is number one. You know, head down, work hard, work on your weaknesses, work on your, your strengths, ask questions. And look, for me as a coach, as a young coach still, there's always been the, I'm almost too honest sometimes to a point where I hurt feelings or yeah. kids don't want to hear it or parents don't want to hear it. I'm only going to tell you what is needed to be told so you can achieve your goals. Whatever that is, from the fourth team to the third team, from the first team to the next regional level, from the regional level to state team, whatever it looks like, you yeah. know, even national team goalkeepers. I mean, for me, from T Howard all the way down to our U8 goalkeepers at the club, honesty, face-to-face, -face, telling them exactly what they need to do, how they need to do it, when they need to do it, in my honest opinion, to help them get better, I think is 
the acceptance of young goalkeepers hearing the criticism, mm-hmm. taking it on board. You know, and they don't always have to take everything on board. Yeah. And not everyone is always going to be right. But I think for me, as a young goalkeeper, I was able to listen to everything and trust in those around me that I did trust in, and it, and it worked. You know, and you're not going to be able to trust everybody that's around you as a young kid. I get that, but if you have people that are looking to help you and make you better, and they are helping you and making you better, I think that just trusting them and listening to them and doing those little things that will help. I mean, for me again, work ethic. I'm just a big one on work ethic. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. So I'll give it to you. I mean, I, I, we watched your session. Mm-hmm. prior so I've, i felt like you were really build, uh, building a culture mm-hmm. and the culture meaning that you know even andre with abraham certain times where one of them had a certain mistake or they needed that extra little bit of feedback they pulled each other aside and were like hey i saw you do this maybe keep your head a little bit more still so i think from the top down you've created this culture right. and this atmosphere around you where right. hey it's a safety net you mm-hmm. can go ahead and say whatever's on your mind don't say it in a negative connotation you know let's look at the per, uh, the right perspective through all this and i think all coaches out there need to understand that as well where there's a way to be negative and have it be almost uh, a good way to build them up. Right. And there's also a way where you're too negative and you don't really recover that relationship yeah, with the yeah, player. Yeah. So I think even watching you today, I think that was really important, something mm-hmm. that I noticed. Mm-hmm. So moving on to your, back to your career now, uh, like you said, you went to Aston Villa. You're mm-hmm. 15 years old. You mm-hmm. go to Aston Villa. You go on a trial there. Mm-hmm. From what I remember, Aston Villa didn't work out, but you did get a contract with Blackburn Rovers. Yep. You're there for three years. Yep. What happens with a 15-year-old moving from Australia to England by themselves? Um, kind of just take me through what was going through your mind and kind of what your parents were telling you as yep. they were uh, letting letting you go at the time. Right. I mean, I think from that state tournament I was talking about, I had five places to go. And I think off the top of my head, it was Aston Villa, Blackburn, Leeds, Leicester, and Watford. And they were the, the five places that I was looking at going on trial. I got to Villa, and I went to Villa first because at the time, Mark Bosnich was there. And obviously, one of the best Australian goalkeepers. Uh, he was a wonderful man, took me into his home with his family, wow. stayed there for a couple of weeks. It was fantastic. They already had signed two young YTs at the time, and they were straight up front after two weeks and said, look, you know, we've already signed two, but you know, we want to have a look at you. From there, I went straight to Blackburn, and I was there for two weeks and got offered the, the three-year um, YT scholarship. You know, but I think for me, it was the only thing I wanted to do. From about f- 13, 14 years old, I was like, this is what I want to do. And it was always in the back of my head that if I could get a chance to go, I was not going to let it go. You know, because we were at a time where we had boys at Leeds, we had boys at Leicester, we had boys at Watford, around my age group that were all YTs and doing well. Um, anyway, this popped up and, and I took it and I went and I had a really successful try with Blackburn early in 2008, I think it was. Um, sorry, 1998. <laughs> well, young. Yeah, 19, <laughs> 1998. My notes are all off. Um, so I was a year, year off finishing high school. My mum wasn't too impressed. She was a bit of an academic, so she was uh, she wanted me to stay and finish school. And my dad was like, "Look, let him go. Like this is, he's going to learn. He's going to be a different kid. It's going to be great for him." Um, and, and my dad kind of helped my mum come round, and <laughs> off I went at 15 yeah. years old. And you know, I left for, for London Heathrow on my own, and it was a wonderful experience. You know, living in, you look back at some of the guys that I was living with. You know, guys like David Dunn played for England, Tony Taylor. You know, went and had a great Premier League career. You know, and I think for me, I remember coming back, you know, season after season and my friends going, wow, you've changed, like in a good way, but Mature, you just yeah. matured so much more than being at home. Um, you know, but I think for me, there was, look, at the end of the day, so much learnt as far as not just from football, but how to handle yourself, how to, you know, just to live on your own, cook, clean, 
manage a, yeah. an apartment than a house or whatever it was as a young as a young person i think has stemmed me in such good stead i mean i haven't been home i left home in 1998 i haven't been home since wow you know i was home for like 12 months in the middle there when i played it in the old nsl but it just really put me in a frame of mind that this is what i wanted to do um, and there was no looking back from there and i think at that uh, you know at that age sometimes you kind of have to be thrown into the deep end mm-hmm. where kind of have to fend for yourself at right. a young age and you get a lot of uh, you know different perspectives on the world different perspectives on uh, as my friend Cody Lorendi would say he says some people say they want it and some people really want it and it's a huge difference and um, did you kind of run into those moments of doubt at times when you were out there or did you always know that this is what it's going to be um, not so much doubt about your ability but mm-hmm. doubt about did I make the right choice mm-hmm. uh, you're seeing all your friends back mm-hmm. home they're mm-hmm. having a good time mm-hmm. they're doing whatever young yeah. you know young people kids do, do. Yeah. yeah so yeah. what kind of advice would you give to young kids or young parents out there who are maybe trying to decide do they want to take that next step for their for their son or daughter right you know there's a lot of different uh, angles or approaches to that you know did i have doubt 100 percent, i did did i have doubt in my own ability as a goalkeeper 100 percent. did i have doubt that i was making the right life choice 100 percent. you know and i think as a young person and, and this is the biggest thing you still see it now you're missing proms and you're missing parties you're missing birthday parties it, all the little things that you want to be at as a young as a young person but like you said, what, what Cody says there, there's a very big difference in saying you want it and doing it. And I think for me, one of the best parts now about myself is my mental strength. Um, and I think it's always been there. And I think because I kind of got thrown in the deep end from such a yeah. young age, just not as a football player, but as a as a young kid going across the world, two bags, mum and dad put me on a plane <laughs> and go, off you go. Now, was that yeah. hard? 100%. Did I cry the whole way to England? Of course I did. But you know, I look back at it now and I think for me, even looking at, at how you know the culture is, you know the millennials now, it's a very cuddled culture. It is. It's a very cuddled culture, and you know I take kids like Abraham, and I use his story right now because his story is fantastic. He's, he's he's a young kid who doesn't come from very much, who in his mind he is digging and, and and fighting and scrapping not only for himself but for his family as well, and you can see it every day. There is no such thing as failure in that kid's mind. Um, and there hasn't been since day one. And I think his life experience to, to get to where he is as a 17-year-old is very different to other kids, you know, and everyone's got a different pathway, and I get that. But allowing kids to find their own path, allowing young, uh, the young adults to make their own choices, within reason, obviously, yeah. but especially when it comes to, to playing sports, whatever sport it is, and, and, and making decisions about college and academics and stuff like that. And at core, and at the Rapids, we have a very big program that helps kids, you know, helps put kids into college you know and a lot of the parents that I work with are fantastic because obviously they trust in our coaching staff as well but as you said taking off at such a young age it just set me in good stead for for everything really on and off the field but you know I, I think there is opportunities there especially now for you know parents just to step back a little bit and let their their youngsters kind of feel their way a little bit and, and especially experience failures. I think for me, experiencing failure is, is, is one of the biggest parts to growing up. Absolutely. You know, and, and learning from it and how you're going to change it and work at it and what am I going to do differently next time? Um, you know, if they get to 22, 23 years old and they've never experienced failure or never had to deal with it on their own, uh, you're looking at a completely different human being. Yeah. And I think that you now you put it in a, a goalkeeping perspective, you're going to fail every day on a football field. You're going to make mistakes. And unfortunately for us, our mistakes are magnified yeah. twofold. And if you can deal with that and deal with it well and have the ability to put it behind you, same as in life, I think you're going to be in, in a good place. Yeah, I think I mean you make a really good point of how you can kind of draw from life experiences and how those can 
uh, especially with goalkeeping, again, it's it's a very personalized position right. in terms of when you're on the field, right. not many people are looking after you. It's yeah. kind of your own well-being and psychological, physical well-being. You're kind of the one who has to control all that. So let's move away from the moving away from home, all that right. stuff. When you step onto the field at 15 years old, how did you feel you matched up to the competition? Mm-hmm. And what was the difference between uh, Australian football and English football? I think the culture in England it, it is massive. It's everything. Football in that country is everything. People work to buy tickets to go to the football games on the weekend. People don't work to save to go on holidays. It's football. And for me, and I, I, this will stick with me till you know the day I die, I, was, I moved from Blackburn and went to Southampton. And it was my third year in as a YT. Um, and had a goalkeeping coach there by the name of David Coles. And we had, I was in the U19s. Paul Jones, Welsh number one, was the number one. Um, at Southampton Neil Moss was the number two Scotty Bevan was the number three and we had a guy that was kind of between the reserve team goalkeeper his name was Alan Blaney Alan was a like a U20 Irish national team goalkeeper was he a better goalkeeper than me? yes was he a bigger lad than me? yes I never was the biggest goalkeeper but I still prided myself that I was the hardest working goalkeeper out of all five of us every day at training and I remember walking off the training field back in the dressing room and Colsey grabbed me and he said to me, the way you walk around here, you walk around like you're at a Premier League football club. Even if you've had a bad day, you still chin up, chest out, shoulders back. You would never think that your mood and your attitude changes. And it kind of stuck with me. And I kind of used that with my young boys that, like, last week, Apes has a bad day. And he's walking around with his chin down, his chest caved in. And I said, look, who cares? You've had a bad day. I've had a go at you. The boys have helped you. Chin up chest out shoulders back and I think for me carrying yourself on and off the field like that is a is a big learning process for, for young players especially young goalkeepers you know because we're in a position where it's in the limelight you make a mistake it, it's it's all over the tv you yeah. know and I think that little bit of advice although it was it was two seconds it, it stuck with me as a whatever I was 18 years old at the time and then leaving Southampton so I lost my work permit and I hadn't played enough international matches and I was heading back to Australia. And at the time, Glenn Hoddle was the, the gaffer. And I mean, oh, and, and yeah. you know. Legend. <laughs> yeah, legend. But I'll never forget, I was sitting in his office and I was, I was in tears because I had to go home. Um, and he put his hands on my face and he just said, kid, you're going to be okay. You are going to be okay. The way you carry yourself, the way you handle yourself, your work ethic, you're going to be okay. And it kind of stuck with me. Like if he's saying that to me, maybe he's right. Yeah, you know, um, whatever it is I choose to do, whether it's coaching or goalkeeping or playing on. Now, I didn't go on to have a, a stellar goalkeeping career. I was a very, very good number two at a, at a lot of different clubs um, because I worked so hard. And I, you know, I think for me, learning those moments as a young age yeah. and seeing that other people saw it in me it has just put me in good stead now to help the goalkeepers that I coach. Sure. You know, what was it about the physical side of things that maybe you didn't have as a player that didn't make you stand out? I mean, I'm sure you were competing, but what was the number one bringing to the table that you weren't bringing to the table? I think it, uh, in the Premier League or in the English football game was my height. Mm. I wasn't the biggest goalkeeper. And, and that's something you can't change. You have yeah. that or you don't. You know what I mean? Either you're born with that or you don't. Um, but I think for me, realizing that, that I didn't have that physical attribute, I needed to have other things you know I was the fittest goalkeeper in every team I ever played on that was hands down you know we run the beep tests and I was in the middle of the, the field players um, you know so I think there was things in there that I prided myself off but then I had to the game changed and you know my feet became my best asset I had very very good feet left and right foot and I was a fantastic organizer so if you said those two things that I I kind of realized that I needed to kind of be better at now yeah. it wasn't that 
being a number two, I, I jumped from from uh, Chesterfield to Viborg, you know, kind of 2005, six. And I got to Viborg and I was behind John Alborg, who was the Swedish number two for the World Cup at the time. And I got there and I was there for two years and I had, you know, we had a good success. But I kind of realized I was, it was about that time, I was 26, 27 years old, about that time. And I went, you know what? I am going to keep getting moves here as a number two if I want to stay at the highest level. And, you know, Viborg was in the Super League in Denmark. We were in the Royal yeah. League playing, you know, FCK and Elsborg and AIK Stockholm and stuff like that. And I'm, in my head, I'm going, if I want to be at this level, maybe I am going to have to be the best number two, which is making sure the number one is filling my presence every day. Mm-hmm. But if I was called upon, and I think that's probably why teams were comfortable with me because if I was called upon, I could do the job for three, four, five, ten games. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was the same when I came to Colorado. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you know, when that uh, that kind of all these little redeeming qualities that you're you're figuring out that you bring to the table that mm-hmm. other other goalkeepers may not. Mm-hmm. For example, you said your feet, then you have your work ethic. Mm-hmm. For younger goal, younger goalkeepers out there, for you playing at that next level, what redeeming qualities nowadays do you? look for as a goalkeeper coach and just as a coach in general i think the number one for me is presence i think that regardless of size and physical attributes i think you need to have a presence as a goalkeeper you need to have a great personality you need to have that kind of water off a duck's back mentality um to even just start to succeed you know and i think being in this country for as long as i have and you go and you know you scout and you watch and, and different fields have got different kids on them and Someone behind you, they're not even watching, will turn you around based off their, their voice and, and, you know, just have their, their instruction and their direction and things yeah. like that. And I think for me, when I'm looking for goalkeepers, when I'm scouting goalkeepers, obviously, you know, technical ability and shot stopping and all that stuff you see as a goalkeeping coach anyway. But those little intangibles that kind of make the difference for me, you know, the personality, how they are in the locker room, you know, the, the, the little snippets of information they're giving on the field, Starting positions, are they high off the line goalkeeper? Are they a little bit deep? I think that all kind of attributes to how you are as a person, you know? And I think that for me, at such a young age, those personality traits are huge when, you know, being recruited. For sure. So you finish off your time with uh, Viborg. Viborg, yeah, Viborg, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Then you come to the States, Mm -hmm. and I think you spend time with the Rapids, DC United. Mm -hmm. I forget, maybe one or the other. LA Galaxy, Galaxy. yeah. Okay, so you move around the MLS a little bit, you move around the MLS. Uh, At what point did you feel, okay, maybe it's time for me to get into coaching? Well, I got, when I I came to Colorado in 2008, the Development Academy just kicked off, and we just got Development Academy uh, in Colorado. And Brian Crookham, who was the Development Academy director, we had a 16s and an 18s team, and he said, I, I need a goalkeeping coach. So I'm still playing. For the Rapids. For the Rapids at the time, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm playing for the Rapids at the time, and, and he goes, do you want to do you know, two or three nights a week? I was like, yeah, for sure. Love to. So jumped on board with that, and we had three goalkeepers, and one of them made the national team. And you know, I was just kind of like, this is, this is interesting. I'm enjoying this. You know, it's a whole different ball game. Now, was it tiring? Yes, I was out in the field at 8.30 at night and had training the next day. And at the same time, I was kind of – prodding with the core goalkeeping stuff where my friend had uh core soccer academy there was no goalkeeping coaching so i actually funnily enough i ended up paying for a couple of kids to go to a few different camps around colorado just so i could go and watch and see how the camps were run wow because i would sit at dick sporting woods park 25 six fields and watch the quality of goalkeeping and it was like whoa we are way 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 behind where the place i've just come from you know because i'd watch the academy kids on the weekend in england and you know, in uh, in uh, Denmark as well, and I think to myself, we are we are way behind here. So, you know, I, I grabbed a couple of the kids and and you know, just out of my own pocket, 
spent some, you know a couple hundred bucks for them to go and do a few of these academies around Colorado and have a look so I can go and watch and come on the parents were nice enough to film the sessions for me so I could watch it if I wasn't able to be there and I was like wow there's a, there's a niche here that needs to be filled yeah. and filled quickly so I started core and I started out with a couple of kids and private sessions and I really enjoyed the coaching I was like I really enjoyed giving the the feedback that people had given me all my life and things that I was experiencing still playing as well and yeah, it kind of just kind of kicked off from there, really. Yeah. So, so you're still playing at the time mm-hmm. while you are coaching, correct? Yeah. So you become the academy director at the time. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that uh, we spoke with John Bush recently, and I, he mm-hmm. was just saying that he's been a second goalkeeper, first goalkeeper. He's on the USL, MLS. Mm-hmm. He's been all across the board. Mm-hmm. So for you as somebody who has been a number two, been a number one, mm-hmm. had to leave your home, and mm-hmm. you see guys like Abraham Rodriguez now, who's 17 years old, but mm-hmm. got his first start uh, last year in the USL mm-hmm. at 16. From your own experiences, do you feel like the perspective that you had to leave home at a young age and you're you know, being thrown into an ML, uh, EPL uh, environment mm-hmm. and all the little things that you kind of had to maneuver on your own, do you feel like that has helped you as a coach? Yeah, I think so. I think at this level, coaching, uh, in the MLS, for me, having the ability to understand it at my mid-20s or my late-20s that I was never going to be a number one at the top level has really helped me as I sit here today. And I say that because I've just had USA's best goalkeeper ever, in my <laughs> opinion, for the last four yeah. years. Wonderful, wonderful learning experience for me. And before that, I'd had Clint previously, I had Zach McMath previously, uh, I had Matt Pickens for a year. You know, and they're they're all younger goalkeepers where, you know, you're still building mentality and technical ability and, and you know, everything you want to, to get to the highest level. But I think for me now, just looking back on those little bits and pieces, uh, being a number two in my playing career has helped me relate to the number two that I'm coaching now and the number three because the number one's always going to be happy because they're playing. For sure. You know, it's like the starting 11. The starting 11 players are going to be happy because they're playing every week. You know, you don't have to, you know, stroke them, so to say. Yeah. But the number two, you do. Now, you take Zach McMath. I think it's a great example. 2016, we miss out on the Supporters' Shield by two points. We make the Western Conference final. Zach McMath, best goalkeeper in the league up until June 2016. And we just traded Clint and we just signed Tim. And Tim wasn't coming and Zach knew it. Tim wasn't coming until June, July. And I had the best goalkeeper in the league up until June, July. Then I had the best goalkeeper in the league from June, July to the playoffs. But for poor Z, you know, he he went from being the best goalkeeper in the league to hands down, I'm going to be behind Tim Howard, USA's, and still at the time USA's number one. So relating to Z, helping Zach from my playing experiences helped me so much with, with that side of it as well. And it's a psychological side of coaching that people don't always see. Like you just, you train, you train, you train, and you forget that there's, there's a person inside that, you know, Absolutely, as well. Yeah. And you gotta, you got to help them understand and help them see why and make them see why. And there's all those little kind of intangibles, again, that are going to go on and make them better goalkeepers. Yeah, I think that, you know, the experiences really do help. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, those are very invaluable. And one mm-hmm. thing that I uh, just want to pick your brain on. So last year you had someone who was 16 years old and Abraham, and then you had somebody who was close to 39 or almost 40 now with uh, Tim Howard, you know, training different types of goalkeepers, different sizes, different, you know, athleticism and, and different profiles. What do you feel is your the best route to go about that as a coach? Do you feel everything should be obviously individualized or how do you go about it with core and with uh, with the Rapids? Well, I'll start with the Rapids. I think for me, it's a great, it's a great question. You've got T who always working on things, always 
wants to look at things, you know, he's a workhorse. And you, like you say, you got Tim, I had Clint, I had Rawlsey, and I had Abraham. Four outrageously different goalkeepers in, in all aspects. But you have to, as a goalkeeper coach, you have to be unbelievably organized in how you're going to get the best out of all four of them at any, any given time, you know. And obviously taking care of the number one, making sure they're ready for the games on the weekend, um, making sure the number two is ready for the game on the weekend in case the number one yeah. pulls up gets injured gets sent off whatever it looks like but also finding time to make sure that the number one is seeing what you're going to be looking at on the weekend so if you're playing LAFC what you're going to see from Vela and Rodriguez and, and so on Rossi and so on and so forth you know but making sure that the number two is still in a spot that he's developing during the week yeah. and you're working at things all the time making sure that the number three is developing constantly and making sure the number one is helping the number two and the three but then you've got Abraham, who's a young goalkeeper, who's, who's in the USL, who's still playing with the Academy U19s team, who's seeing me at night time, training with me in the mornings. There's probably always ample opportunity to, to get with him. And you saw today, you know, Abe was taken off down the one end of the field to help yeah. out with the team session, but he comes back and finishes off his work with me. So I think for me, it, it, people are going to say, oh, it's a juggling act. No, not really. Just organizing and, and, and planning and making sure that everybody is getting what they need where they need to be and it's funny it's, it's a great question i 2015 i was lucky enough to go and spend a week with the argentine national team um claudia lopez was our sporting director knew the goalkeeping coach there really well and i went and spent a week with him and he was brilliant he sat with me he watched my video he watched my training video he watched my goalkeepers and i had clint was the number one at the time and he was watching my video and he's like, this is very good, you know, and giving me some pointers, you can change this and do this and, and it was great. And, and then he looks at me and goes, I'm watching your video here and you're preparing your goalkeeper for the weekend. Fantastic. He goes, but are you working your week towards the number one or the number two or the number three? And I'm, well, my week is towards the number the number one, yeah. ready for the weekend. He goes, and I, I, it kind of took me by surprise. I was like, well, well you know, Gus, what do you mean? He goes, work it towards your number two. Of course, your number one's always going to be happy because they're playing. But without a good number two, your number one's not going to get pushed. Mm. Without a good number two, your number three's not going to feel like you're going to have to catch them. So your number three will just catch up naturally. So it goes, wow. if you're always playing for the number one, what are your two and your three getting out of it? So he said, work at your number two. Work for your number two because he will make your number one better because he will push them. And the number three will naturally just want to catch. Wow. And I was, it, it kind of stuck with me. And I was yeah. like, wow, okay, unbelievable. So I kind of adopted that little bit of philosophy where – making sure that Tim was always being pushed by Z. Tim was always being put, or, or Zach was pushing Clint at the time or whatever it looked like. You know, Rawlsy now is pushing Clint. Abe is pushing Rawlsy. But I think for me, that was kind of a light bulb moment where I can change my philosophy during the week, just slightly, not not too much, Yeah. but make sure that that number two is ever creeping towards the number one and the number one is always feeling like there's pressure coming from behind him just to give him the edge week in and week out. And, and it really kind of it, it kind of dawned on me. It, it it hit me because when I got T, I was like, okay, wow, this is this is it's going to be a learning process for everybody here. But T was so subservient. The first thing he said to me on the phone was, I want to keep learning. And I said to you today, we went over a couple of things that T and I looked at consistently and kept adjusting and changing and helping and you know just turning the screws a little bit, but making sure that Z was hot on his heels all the time was, was a huge part of it as well. So yeah, you know, it was it was a good learning moment for me, but really a Something that's I've that's yeah. incredible. I yeah. think that's a. I mean, I'm going to take that to my, to wherever I go next. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. You know, at an MLS club or whoever, yeah. wherever I end up. But I think that's really huge. And I think from the experiences, your own playing experiences, I'm sure that light bulb really, you know, really struck out for you because it said, 
you know, I was the number two. I know how a session right. uh, a coach would run for me, how that would make me feel, make right. me even more hungry. Yeah. Um, so recently I did a, uh, I went to the, co the coaches convention and they had a uh, coaches panel and Jill Lloyden, who played for the mm -hmm. women's national team mm -hmm. and uh, really good resource. And, and yep. I, I love her. She's great. Yep. And one thing she said was when she became a goalkeeper coach and transitioned from a player to a coach, she had to kind of start deviating from Paul Rogers and Phil Wedden, mm -hmm. guys who kind of groomed her yep. and, and created her technique and yep. kind of approach to the game. Because at the end of the day, as a coach, it's good to have your own philosophy, good methodologies. Yep. Yep. But if you just run sessions that other people have ran for yep. you, it's very difficult to become your own mind and become your own thing. So for you transitioning and becoming now a goalkeeper coach, and now, I mean, with all respect, we watched uh, your session today, and my brother even said, I'm not a goalkeeper, but I walked out of it with so much good information that it just made sense to not just like goalkeeping, but with every sport. Mm -hmm. So from your coaches in the past, what have you taken from them? And mm -hmm. what are certain moments or little, little technical tools that you may have, you know, said, Hey, those are right. kind of outgrown. You got to create your own style. You got to take pieces of what, you know, you've had along the way that have worked for you and add little bits that are you. Yeah. And you kind of find yourself somewhere in the middle there. And, and then you just kind of build your own thought process out from there. You know, and I think, you know, look, you, you take a lot from, from what you've had as a player, you know, and then you, you kind of, you know, we talked a lot about it today and I'm hoping you asked me the question about the, <laughs> the deflection stuff because yeah. I think for me, goalkeeping is changing. The game is changing. Balls are moving. Players are striking the ball harder. Players are getting physically better. You know, fields are getting quicker. It's just, it, it's all changing. And I think that adapting and constantly revisiting what you're doing is, is ever so important. And look, I think... I still consider myself what eight years into this job as a young coach, but I think taking bits and pieces of all the goalkeeping coaches I've had, good and bad, where I really enjoyed it personally. Um, and I always preach this in my course sessions to the kids all the time. You know, they come to us, and I use that as a good example because they come to us, and my core staff is directors from all different youth clubs. So, you know, they're handpicked. We get plenty of applications for coaches, but these are the guys that are hands on with the kids in our state. But the kids all have a different favorite coach within the group. It's not me. It's not Brandon. It's not PJ. It's someone else in there is always a favorite of someone else because there's something about them that connects mm -hmm. with the individual. And I think for me, first and foremost, and, and the most important thing for me is, you mentioned it before, it's a goalkeeping union. It's a goalkeeping culture. It's, I, I don't have to, I'm not looking after 30, 30 field players. I'm looking after three, maybe four individuals more so that if they feel loved and respected and I'm working for them, they're going to give me everything every day. And you saw it today. Yeah. And, and I think creating a goalkeeping culture within a club, not just the first team, but within the development academy became very evident to me early on when I was at Blackburn. Um, Roy Tungs was a goalkeeping coach and, you know, we had Tim Flowers and John Filan and Alan Fettis. I mean, you're talking about three internationals there, England, Australia and, and Wales. And I was kind of blown blown away because I'd never kind of felt that before in my life. When I was walking in there, I was an outsider again and got to stay with Johnny, who was an Aussie. And I thought, this is this is what I, I this is it. Like I'm in a goalkeeping unit here that's just about goalkeeping and yeah. it's massive. And I, I when I took over at the club as the DA goalkeeping coach, I was like, you know what? From from the DA down to the youth club, I can really change a whole culture here. And that's what we've kind of spoke about. And I think for me, creating an environment where kids feel safe to ask questions, don't feel scrutinized when they make mistakes. I think too, it's getting in an environment where kids can feel safe to come, 
safe to ask questions, away from being judged all the time in club soccer or high school soccer or whatever it looks like. And I think at core soccer, you know, our mission statement's all ages, levels and abilities. You know, it's a supplementary training program. It's got nothing to do with club, high school soccer, anything like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, like you said, it's, it's constantly evolving. And if you're a coach who, from you said year one to year eight, if you're the same coach, nothing's changed and, and you haven't really allowed new information right. to come in. And right. without new information, you can't really continue to rebuild mm-hmm. and reprogram mm-hmm. and, and figure things out. Uh, but I want to just, before we move on to the field session today, mm-hmm. one uh, one thing you were telling me about was, you know, Tim Howard, when mm-hmm. he came to you and you're kind of helping him adjust and adapt to obviously not being as athletic anymore. And that's just the reality for all their time. We see with Tom Brady nowadays, he's, he can't run out of the pocket, yep. things like that. Yep. So just you tell me that little story that you mentioned today mm-hmm. about just being creative and mm-hmm. figuring out ways mm-hmm. to help your goalkeepers adapt. Mm-hmm. And it really does allow your personality as a coach to come out. Like you said, the work ethic. If you have somebody who comes in who you may need to you know groom like Abraham mm-hmm. or need to kind of help Andre get mm-hmm. to that next level mm-hmm. for him, but you're not willing to put mm-hmm. in that work, film those sessions, mm-hmm. which again, Abraham credits you again for mm-hmm. filming the sessions because mm-hmm. he loves watching the, mm-hmm. the footage. I don't know if he tells you that, but he loves no. he loves watching the footage. Yeah. He loves seeing it because he right. wants to see the progressions. Yep. So, you know, you're telling me about Tim and, and you kind of had to go back to the drawing board in mm-hmm. a sense and mm-hmm. figure out a way. So can you just tell me a little bit about how you helped him readjust right. his starting points? Yeah, it's funny. People ask me that question, but I think a big one for, for, for me and T, you know, and obviously T and I, He's my dearest friend and my confidant now, and I was lucky enough to spend so many great times over the four years with him. But we sat in Arizona in preseason, probably 2017, beginning of, and we're moving into Gold Cup year, and he's just regained the number one in the national team, and we're looking at like things like his warm-up, for example. And we sat at a coffee shop in, in Arizona. You know, we're two weeks into preseason, and we're starting to get towards where the games are coming thick and fast in preseason. I said, look, we're going to have to look at your warm-up here, pre-game warm-up. Again, T was a workhorse. When you and I say a workhorse, I mean an absolute workhorse. And when I broke it down to number of reps that he was catching in the pregame warm up was almost equivalent to two training sessions. Wow. And we I sat with him and, and I watched it and I showed him and he looked at me and went, Oh my goodness. I never even realized that. So we had to look at cutting things out and breaking things down and just shortening reps. So he was at his max freshness come kickoff time. And as we started to do that, and we started to change them, tweak little things, and I, I mean, and going back, game day minus one, game day minus two, you know, over the course of the two days prior to the game, because he was in such a good rhythm, you don't want to change someone of that age who's who's had such a stellar career. Of course, yeah. But looking at helping, what's going to help their body be at their peak for the weekend? We had to start cutting reps back because some of the pregame stuff as well, like the day before, that he was in a routine with, which was fantastic, but he was hitting. You know, between that and game day, he's hitting three and four hundred balls, like catching three and four hundred balls. And I'm like, pal, this is three days of work, <laughs> oh, you know. So we had to kind of look at that and cut it back. And as I said to you before, he's so subservient to learning and understanding. But as long as I could show him that it was going to have a good effect on him moving forward, which it did. But you just look at little things like that. That, that you, You're now thinking outside the box. How am I going to get the big fella to be at his best come Saturday? Now, that was in... January of 2017 and maybe the early starts of February 2017 won the Gold Cup was the number one through the World Cup qualifying stages and unfortunately we know what happened there but he was at 2017 at 38 years old he's still in the best shape of his life yeah. you know and, and going to 2019 sorry 18 and 19 his fitness levels were frightening his athleticism still was frightening and he's late 30s yeah. you know still <laughs> um you know, so just trying to find little things where it was going to help him adapt in game. It was going to help him 
or give him the best opportunity to, to, to make saves in games. Like, as we say, balls are moving quicker, plays are moving faster, games are moving quicker, you know, and he was just so good and so subservient to looking at it. And as long as we could show him why and he could understand why and he'd see on the video why, absolutely no problems. And look, for me, anyone watching this, for any young kid, you know, you, you talk about the best goalkeeper, in my biased opinion, that this country's ever produced, and we've produced some, some good ones. But a man that will sit and watch the video and make sure that we have got it right, poh, for young kids to... to think there's another way to do it no chance he is you know why after working for four years you know exactly why he was where he was because yeah. of way you know it's incredible yeah and so you have uh obviously your own playing experiences that you can mm -hmm. draw from but now you're coaching a lot of you know wide-ranged long-term long-time professionals some professionals who are just coming into mm -hmm. the league and now you have obviously your core goalkeeping when you have uh, you said in an interview I read like 500 goalkeepers that you've kind of yep. come across with yep. and, and different coaches. Yep. So do you share the stories and the, the character uh, traits from your professional goalkeepers, mm -hmm. what you see with them yep. to uh, uh, your younger goalkeepers? And if so, what are those little things that make Clint, make uh, Andre, make Abraham, Tim, mm -hmm. everyone you've come across, mm -hmm. what makes them different? And what do you draw from their uh, characteristics? I, was, I had a, Someone asked me last year in, in Tim's retirement stuff, what makes T different? And I think for me, and I share this with the young kids all the time, Tim has a switch inside him that just flicks on and it's game time. And it doesn't matter. We're walking out the field and he could be joking and carrying on and, and, and having great banter. As soon as he steps over the white line, that's all done. It's time to work. For the 90 minutes he's on the field or whatever it looks like, he just has a switch inside him that I have not seen in too many people throughout my career, coaching and playing, that you're talking at the highest, highest levels. And I'm sure, you know, when you, you talk about the, the Peter Schmeichels and the Edwin Vanessars and the Gigi Buffons and so on and so forth, they are, have similar or have similar character traits. But T had a switch inside him that I think for, you know, Abraham and Rawlsy and Clint and Zach and all the guys that have been around him over the last few years to see was frightening. And I've noticed even little things that he does that the guys start to pick up on because you're working with the best. And, and you're looking at the best every day. You can see it working for him. So why is it not going to not work for me? But I think, you know, when, when we train at core and we train at the DA and they've got the stadium right there and the kids are on the field and they're on the... And, and, I'm, I, and I constantly use stories about, you know, pointing in there and looking in there. And when you've got Andrew Cordes and Abraham Rodriguez in our daily first-team sessions and you go out with the Development Academy and there's eight, nine, ten kids, you can lean on Abe and say, hey, Abe, what did Tim do this morning? That, and then Tim will tell, and then Abe will tell a story about Tim, and the young kids are going, "Wow, I'm actually training session with Abraham is training with Tim. I can be in those shoes in three or four years time." So you talk about goalkeeping culture. I think for me, having that ability to share with the young kids that can come into the first team if they're good enough and and they're on the right track, for the kids to be around those other young goalkeepers, but those little traits, those little intangibles, those work ethics, the they want to get better every night. They want to concentrate in every moment. Um, they want to, once I make mistakes, I can just forget about it. They want to help other goalkeepers. I've got some great young goalkeepers in the academy that stick their arm around the younger kids. I've got the older boys like Abe and Cordes. Their session's done. They stay for the 12s and 14 session and stand and help them. And, and that, to me, is a culture. That, yeah. to me, is it's something different inside the kids that it's going to help the young ones look up to them. And I think that if they can see that at a young age, you're going to be moving in the right direction. 
Right, so the last question, uh, Chris, I want to ask you is for any goalkeeper coach out there that is aspiring to get to your position, uh, let's say, for example, you're trying to groom a goalkeeper, uh, goalkeeper coach, what would you tell them is like the core principles that you must have non-negotiables so that over your eight year career or even longer than that, you can kind of say, OK, you've made the right strides because you had those proper foundational pieces. I think for me, there's probably three or four things. I think developing your own philosophies. I think is is most important because within your own philosophies, it becomes easy to explain to goalkeepers why you're doing it, how you see it, um, what you're trying to accomplish on a daily basis. You know, I think if you're copying philosophies or you're just taking things off the internet, that it gets lost in translation because you're not exactly understanding why that coach is doing it. So for me, any young goalkeeping coach coming through is like we just talked about taking bits and pieces of coaches around you that you've really enjoyed even ones that you haven't but they might be able to teach you good lessons but developing and understanding what you're trying to achieve and how you see the game now a lot of it is organization a lot of it is not being afraid to put yourself out there to criticism you know and like i said to you at the beginning i'm an open book you know i i happily share my sessions and happily share my thoughts and philosophies because i want to get better and you know across the league i have some very very close friends goalkeeping coaches and you talk about Paulie Rogers earlier and you know Drew Keyshawn at Dallas and, and, and you know Pat Onstad at Columbus and guys that I absolutely adore talking goalkeeping with yeah. team every day talking goalkeeping every day because there's thought there's thought provoking and, and for the young coaches putting themselves in those situations and around people that are going to be critical but good criticism and it's going to allow them to develop like you said about Jill and Phil and, and Paul, you know, you're talking about two of the best goalkeeping coaches that, in this country. But those young coaches need to develop their own thought process, their own philosophies, so they are able to give it to the goalkeepers and explain it to the goalkeepers that is going to help the goalkeepers in the best possible way. And I think organization. Being organized as a goalkeeping coach, you go back to talking about four different goalkeepers, understanding what you want to achieve on any given day. Preparation, organization, uh, constantly thinking, constantly watching videos so you can be helping the boys or girls get better. You know, I think video is a wonderful tool. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, again, there's three or four little things, but I, I think too, and me, the number one most important thing is enjoy what you do. Enjoy it. If you're not enjoying what you're doing, you're not going to get any better. If you're not enjoying it, you're not going to watch more football games or you're not going to watch more coaching sessions and philosophies and just educating yourself i think is the biggest part about it and i think for me in the position i'm in now educating people and still for me being educated myself is is massive you know and i, I just you know bestow upon that young coaches is that just keep learning keep learning there's never a spot where you're not learning and every day even watching my own video i'll take my own notes and go oh i can do that i can do that better or oh i can change this or whatever it looks yeah. like and hey Paulie, take a look at this for me. Tell me what you think. You know, and just and you're putting yourself outside there, yeah. but you're opening yourself up to just being better all the time. And that's, that's for me, massive. Chris, thank you so much. Welcome, that was mate. awesome. Thanks that's for awesome. having me. Appreciate it. You guys, so as you guys have just heard from Chris, goalkeeper coaches, goalkeepers, making sure that you guys go out there and enjoy what you're doing. Just making sure that 
you have intent every time you go out there, whether it's, you know, breaking down film, whether it's uh, learning from different people, continuously leave yourself open to criticism and allow yourself to be critiqued so that you can take that next step. So at the end of the day, when you get to the professional level, you're going to be critiqued no matter what. It's better that you allow that critique to happen at a younger age so you know how to bounce back and deal with that and learn from it. Again, guys, this has been Chris Sharp from the Colorado Rapids MLS Pro Series. See you guys soon.